All right, hello, welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show. I am Jason Napolitano, and on the line is Mr. Chris Sheridan. How are you doing today, Chris? Doing great today. It's, uh, it's another another day. It's another day. Another it's another day on planet Earth. How about that? <laughs> it's another day on planet Earth. We're not on Mars yet, so make make the best of it, right? Yeah, although I've been accused of being, you know, on another planet from another planet. I can neither confirm or deny my <laughs> astral travels, but today is today because I'm on Earth. I'm an Earthling living here on this planet. Perfect. Firmly, firmly planted on the ground, on the Earth. All right. So and that, of course, will be uh, our main subject today. We're talking, of course, in our new um, focus for the show, we are taking a more eco-spiritual approach to, to life, and we're looking at the great wisdom traditions. Uh, ancient wisdom, psychology, shamanism, and so on, uh, to illuminate some ideas about how we can help heal the earth, really, uh, and help us uh, to survive. So we don't have to try to, you know, start a, a new life on a, on, a, on a lifeless planet. We already have a planet that's filled with life, uh, and it's filled with solutions, and it's filled with possibilities. Uh, so we shouldn't give up, and that really is the main focus of, uh, of our topic today, uh, we're, we're drawing from uh, an essay, and it's titled uh, Medicine for the Earth uh, by Sandra Ingerman. Sandra Ingerman. And so tell us a little bit about her. You, uh, you know a little bit more about her than I do. Well, just briefly, she is a very well-known shaman uh, and is a teacher in the shamanic traditions. Uh, she has books, um, the Book of Ceremony, uh, one called Soul Retrieval, Medicine for the Earth, which is, I guess, what we're talking about, and walking in light. Um, so a shaman, obviously being somebody who, uh, a medicine healer, uh, also very, very connected with the earth. In indigenous cultures, the, the shaman would live usually at the edge of the village, next to the forest or the frontier, wherever the out there scary part was. Uh, kind of with a foot in both worlds, both in the civilization and the tribe and the village, as it were, with the people and the society there, and another foot also in the, the natural world, and being somebody who mediates between the two. So it's not just somebody that goes off into the woods and <laughs> yeah. nature, uh, but it's somebody who, who really has a, a foot in both worlds. And uh, I think that's part of the discussion. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say that that's a great that's a great point because they're they're sort of an intermediary between the between the culture and between you know the spirit world and the earth in essence, um, aren't they? And so you know for us today trying to solve the uh, the ecological challenges that we face, we need to get into that that sort of mentality, and that really is what the the main gist of this article uh, is about. Of course, uh, this article comes from. Uh, a great book called Spiritual Ecology, The Cry for the Earth, and it is edited by Llewellyn Bon Lee. And he is a, a Sufi mystic uh, who, uh, who is also interested in these eco-spiritual issues, and he's a pretty fairly well-known speaker. He's, uh, he's got some pretty good YouTube videos uh, online and so on, uh, but he's becoming more and more well-known, and I, I really, uh, I really like uh, watching him speak, so you can check him out as well. Uh, so today, as I said, medicine for the earth. So we're gonna talk about that idea uh, that Chris just introduced about shamans. 
about shamanism and that sort of uh, indigenous worldview and how that might be a way uh, for us to approach healing the earth. Um, so one of the things uh, that, you know, and I'll let you talk a, a, a bit more about this too, uh, that shamans do uh, is they go to the spiritual source, they go to the spirit world in search of the cause of an illness. Uh, they don't get so interested uh, and caught up in the physical symptoms and the emotional symptoms and so on. Uh, they will pay attention to that, of course. But what they're really trying to do is go to the, the, the really the spiritual cause, as it were, that's, in, that's back of, you know, that's the actual cause uh, of, of the illness. So her, her whole uh, point in this article, really, in this essay, uh, is that we need to start looking, uh, we need to start looking at the, the problems, the challenges we're facing uh, with, with climate change and, and different problems we face on the earth in that sort of way. So, so not ignoring the symptoms, as it were, the issues and the problems, but really going to the heart of, of the issue, which is for lack of a better word, a, a sort of a paradigm problem. It's a sort of outlook problem that we're facing, you know? In other words, we have a sort of incorrect view of our, our place on the earth, and uh, we need to fix, fix that view. We need to fix that consciousness. And so that's, that's, her, that's her contention, that we need to take a more shamanistic uh, point of view when we're, when we're attempting to deal with uh, the problems that we're facing. You want to carry on with that a little bit? Well, yeah, she goes on to say that the symptom of a toxic environment, uh, a problem as it is unto itself, it really is a symptom or an indicator um, that there is toxicity within ourselves, our own inner toxicity, as, as she put it, um, and that the healing of the earth is at the same time a healing of ourselves. The reason why the environment has been destroyed is because we are somehow playing that out on the inside. So the problem and also the solution is from inward to outward. At the very least, these things are uh, deeply, deeply connected. Mm. Um, whether or not you can get on board with, well, just because I have toxic thoughts, that means there's an oil spill in the Gulf, it doesn't necessarily cause that. Uh, but it's if we allow toxic thoughts, um, you know, unhealthy images, if we are eating, unhealthy food, uh, watching um, non, you know, beautiful imagery, sure. uh, you know, we're, we're missing out um, on then why wouldn't we pollute a river? Why wouldn't we cut down a forest um, so we can have new Ikea furniture or, or something like that? You know, it's, there's personal choices that have really global significance uh, but it's more than just like what you buy outside. She really goes all the way to say that it's, it's something in our hearts. It's something in our souls uh, that we need to really work on um, so that we can solve the environment and, and do really these things simultaneously because you can't really do one without the other. Yeah, that's a great point. And there's an interesting uh, uh, corollary to that. Um, 
that you know not a, really a corollary but what i guess is just a leading into this this thought in my mind is the the idea of of, of harmony the idea of harmony so part of part of a shaman's job then uh, when they go to heal is to restore the harmony that exists within on on a spiritual level so in in essence then you know part of our job as we're we're thinking about uh, moving forward and and healing the earth is to uh, to to restore that that harmony on an inner level, both on on sort of an earth level, on a macro level, but then on a micro level within ourselves, and they 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 work together, and then the natural outflow of that is constructive actions. It's you know positive behaviors, positive thoughts, more positive energy building, more, and you know it becomes a positive feedback loop of 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 constructive uh, actions and thoughts and and words. Um, but it again, it's it really it begins on the inside, doesn't it? It does, yes. And there's that, there's that. There, of course, the Hermetic axiom. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Uh, well, that's the as above, so below, uh, or as without, so within. Uh, that the very large is deeply connected with the very small. We know this in science from a. A whirlpool galaxy could be like a hurricane whirlpool here on earth could be the whirlpool in the bathtub when the water goes down the drain that it exists or the solar system with the planets going around this nucleus of the sun is like the electrons moving about the nucleus of an atom. Uh, so there's a deep connection uh, between the very small and the very large uh, and also that which is outside of us uh, being similar to what is inside us. We know that if we go out in the world with a bad attitude, um, we're going to honk at somebody in traffic and we might be rude to the barista when we get our coffee or we might, you know, it, it can cascade out to a lot of things. And then we're, you know, probably going to not see the gum on the sidewalk and step in it. I mean, it, 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 it's going to make for a bad day. Um, but, and also if you greet the world maybe with a better attitude, even if someone else doesn't have a great attitude, you know, you still have yours and that can emanate out. So it's this deep connection, but it really puts a lot of personal responsibility on the individual to uh, watch what polluting words we use, not just the smokestack at the power plant down the river. Uh, there's a connection there uh, and really our job, yes, we have to solve these outer problems, um, but the movement is from doing that from the inside out. That's a great, great way to put that. Um, and, you know, I think it, it's a fundamental, it's a fundamental change because oftentimes we can get caught up in, you know, in our political discussions and on the media and, uh, and so forth in the minutia of details uh, kind of, and, and, and a lot of times it's really just, you know, moving deck chairs around on the Titanic. Um, you know, you get focused on all these different things, you know, well, should we do this? Should we do that? Should we do the other thing? And you're really not looking at the, the, the big underlying problem, which is the way that we're seeing things, the way that we're looking at, for example, the earth. Uh, so, you know, you have like a, you know, the kind of system that we live in sort of, you know, technological industrial society in the West. And there's this idea of um, 
sort of unfettered growth. It's, growth is always a good thing. Just keep growing and keep growing, and then there's more profit and more money and more market share and so on. Uh, but the reality of the situation is the, the earth just doesn't work that way. So you've put this kind of construct of a system onto something that, you know, it kind of functioned that way when there were, you know, forests to cut down and when there were plenty of fish in the ocean and when there was, you know, you know, herds of buffalo, you could just shoot down indiscriminately uh, and so on. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure they never really thought that, oh, this stuff is going to run out or it's finite. You know, it just seemed like endless supplies of things. Um, but, you know, when you get into that mentality, into that state of this idea that there's an, there's a, there's an infinite supply of, of resources available, it really just kind of messes everything up. And the whole system is sort of based on this false idea that there, you know, there's no accounting really for ecological costs, for psychological costs, for social costs in, in business. Um, those things are all subsidized and it goes somewhere else. So for example, like a company makes a, a computer they don't have to pay for that computer that's going to end up in a landfill and then it's going to, you know, leach toxic chemicals into the soil. You know, no, there's no accounting for that. They don't have to pay for that. They don't have to, you know, that, that all comes out of, uh, you know, tax dollars that go to, you know, treating people for cancer and you know, trying to heal, heal up stuff. It goes, you know, the EPA cleaning up these different sites and things like that. But, you know, for the most part, corporations aren't held accountable for that. So, you know, you have a system that's built on this idea that you know the earth is simply this infinite resource to just use as you as you will indiscriminately, um, you know, and 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 that's sort of built into the to this you know. And again, this I'm not you know I'm trying to knock the system. I'm not, this isn't we're not you know going to talk about all the you know the evil in the world. We're we're getting away from that. My point is is that that is a, a paradigm. That is an idea. That is an idea that doesn't work anymore. And so when an idea doesn't work anymore, you don't keep doing the same idea and just do it, you know, harder or do it more or do it more efficiently. That's the definition of insanity, right? It is. And, you know, I think what you're getting at is that there was a time when there were maybe 2 billion people on the planet. Mm -hmm. uh, and that wasn't that long ago. We we're talking just 100 and, you know, maybe 30 years ago. Uh, this, this population growth is, is relatively recent. Um, yeah, the frontier was, was endless. The forest um, was endless. You know, the, the territory, the desert, the seas uh, were vast and could never be fished with the technology and with the amount of people it needs to serve. Uh, that actually was a fine paradigm. Um, may not have been the best, but it totally worked. There was plenty, there was so much abundance, uh, but that's not the case now. Uh, there's more abundance, yes, more fish are being fished, more uh, you know, crops are being harvested, but there's more mouths to feed, but we're doing it in an old way. Um, that was one of the great tragedies of World War I, well, other than, of course, all wars are tragic, is that um, the armies were using really 19th century and earlier tactics on the battlefield, but they had 20th century weaponry. Uh, and those, you know, that's not how you go about things. Mm -hmm. The paradigm didn't change until World War II with war. We used the, the technology of the time. Um, but if you have a mindset and a paradigm uh, 
that worked at a different age or stage and things, the playing field has changed. The rules have to change too. The, the, you know, doing business as usual uh, doesn't work anymore when there's movement and progress uh, or change yeah. in the outside. Um, so yes, a new way has to come because, because we're, we're under new conditions now. We can't, we're not, we can't behave like it's 1920. No, exactly. And, and actually, you know, it's, um, you know, we really should have been thinking about that even then. It's, I think it's people just, you know, kind of misunderstood. And obviously, you know, there was a whole, there's a whole historical and cultural, you know, thing that goes along with the idea of, you know, manifest destiny and all that, that, you know, look, there's just a, it's a tra tragic situation that, that occurred, you know, with the native population. So and all that, but you know, it's interesting. So now that, you know, really the, the, one of the big paradigm shifts is that I think in order for us to move forward and to survive in some ways, you know, we have to uh, look at where we are today, you know, in the modern world of technology and so on and, and kind of, you know, grasp that and use the tools that we have as, as best we can. But then we also have to look back to sort of a pre-industrial age to some of these indigenous and shamanistic uh, type ideas so that we can um, put ourselves back into harmony with the way the, the earth actually works. Because honestly, the way that we're living, we act as if we are some sort of special element that doesn't, you know, doesn't kind of, that the rules don't apply to us, I guess, is I think the false sense that we have. The, you know, we can, we can, science can, 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 you know, make things happen that, you know, we can, and it can in a lot of ways, and it can bend the rules and so on, but there's a great cost to that. You know, you, you can, you know, you can change this and you can shove that out, but, you know, eventually Mother Earth comes back uh, with a force and a vengeance, you know, and you see it in the, you know, you see it in the, uh, the climactic changes and so on, and the, you know the, the the storms and hurricanes and so on, and and the you know the changing patterns of weather and all of it, right? So it's like there is a cost to 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 forcing to forcing the earth to to do a certain thing that you wanted to do just for ego's sake. Uh, but there's a better way to do it, you know, and that's what we're that's what we're talking about, you know. There's a there's a harmonious way to do it, and there are. There are tools that can, you know, there's agricultural methods now that can help to regenerate uh, the life in the soil and can actually help to restore the, uh, the biodiversity in an area and so on so that we can, um, you know, we can provide ourselves with the food that we need, but we can also help to heal the earth at the same time, you know, and that's, that's, a, a, that's a huge paradigm shift. And that goes back to a principle that is more in line with, you know, uh, an indigenous worldview, tribal worldview, uh, that there's this web of life, really, that we're all connected in this web of life and that, uh, you know, the impact of, of, of the behaviors uh, is, is, is felt, you know, by all other members of this web, you know, and be they animal, you know, plant, mineral, you know, tree, whatever. It's like those, those, all those living elements actually have a, you know, they're part of this anima mundi, the soul that we talked about last week, this world soul. Uh, and so that, you know, that really everything is alive. And, you know, when you start to tap into that, uh, you can, you can, you know, you can listen to 
the trees and the plants and the rocks and the rivers and animals and so on. And, you know, you'll begin to hear a, a certain wisdom come out, uh, out of those, those, those living, those living beings. Um, you know, they're not, you know, they're not speaking English, but they're speaking on a heart level. You, you know what I mean? And that's, you know, that's one of these shifts that she talks about a great, a great exercise uh, that she, she uses in her work called deep listening. A deep listening. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, I just like the term. First off, um, you know, deep anything. We talk about depth psychology and deep subjects and uh, everything that uh, you know is deep with consciousness. Uh, but listening, listening is such a different sense, uh, sensory capacity. It's a, it's a different way of um, taking in the world. Uh, we are so visually oriented. Uh, we like to look for answers. We try to see <laughs> a pattern. Um, very connected with the mind. We try to think and see. I'm seeking. Uh, it's very, um, I think, brain-driven. Uh, whereas listening is such a receptive. It's very active. It's not passive in uh, your attention. <laughs> Um, but it, it's passive in your activity and your mental activity. And to take this in, you're, you're listening from the heart. It's a, it's a different part of your body and it's, it's a different receptive instead of this seeking is sort of a, you know, exploring and going out there and sending a probe to Mars and doing all these things. But listening is almost like a big telescope where you're gathering light, you're gathering radio waves and uh, and taking in what's there. I think it's there all the time. I think we've forgotten how to listen. Yeah. And we've forgotten how to see weather patterns and things in the sky. And wow, the birds, oh, those crazy birds just flew over. Huh, I wonder what that's about. And then you just go about your day or you don't even wonder what that's about. But that could be telling something very important. Well, it's going to rain in, in an hour. Or who knows? I mean, I don't know either. I've lost, <laughs> lost touch with that. Yeah, we're right. We're working on on trying to develop those skills again and reconnect, right? But they come. It's interesting that it comes from listening. Yeah, from a receptivity to what's out there, what's already there. What can what can come into me? Not you know what can I figure out? It's like oh, what can I experience? What can I bring into my heart? It's a really different way of positioning yourself yeah i i completely agree and and you know it, it it touches on the idea of of the divine feminine it touches on the idea of mother earth or gaia as that sort of mother figure you know that divine that divine feminine there's a there's a receptivity there's a there's a there's a softness to it there's a there's a there's a, a yielding kind of quality to it you know what i mean and it it really is it's less it's less active and sort of, you know, kind of probing and scientific and it's more heart oriented and soul oriented, isn't it? And it's, you know, there's a, like you said, there's a, uh, there's a, there's a sort of a, there's a, there's a, a receptivity that, that is, is necessary in order to hear it. And sometimes, you know, we're so busy with that sort of, um, you know, scientific masculine kind of worldview where you want to, you know, delve into stuff and think about it and, you know, use a microscope to get to the bottom of it and, and all those different things. And, and that's valuable. It's, 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 a, it's a very valuable tool, but it's an unbalanced tool. And it's the only tool that we're using anymore to investigate the world with. Uh, this tool of, of deep listening and observation is a huge tool that's used in uh, 
in permaculture, if you're not familiar with permaculture, it's a regenerative style of agriculture. It's a design system, uh, an overall design system used to, to, to create a, a harmonious and sustainable uh, way of living. Uh, but this idea of observation is the first thing that you do. You just go and observe what is going on in this place. What do I want to go on is, is in the back of your mind, but also just what is happening? How do I fit my house into this properly? How do I, you know, fit uh, animals into this environment? How do I uh, fit the trees in? Where is the sun? What, you know, what is, where, where is the wind coming from? What's, you know, what's the natural uh, soil? What's, what's the, the, the gradation of the soil look like? And all of these different factors, it's just observation, walking around on the land you know, and you can do this in an urban environment too, just observing what is happening. What are the interconnections? Where is the sun at at this time of the day? When is it cold? When is it warm? Where are there little pockets of, of warmth and things? And, you know, you begin to recognize and get in touch to that, uh, that receptive sort of feminine um, wisdom. You know, it's a listening wisdom. It's not a, I'm going to impose my will on this space. It's a, like, what is this space going to allow me to do uh, and so that I can work in harmony with it. It's, it's, you know, I'm not trying to impose or force something that, that doesn't belong here. I'm going to do something with this space that works uh, for all parties involved, you know, the natural environment, the people involved, the, 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 the trees and plants involved, the animals involved, you know, the streams and rivers, and, the, you know, even the, the air and the quality, you know what I mean? And that's a different, uh, that's a different question you know, what can I, you know, when that receptive quality and asking questions of how can I be in harmony with this particular space? That's a much different question than most modern engineers are asking. You know, they're looking, you know, again, I'm not a trained engineer, but I think they're just looking to impose a certain uh, function on a particular site, regardless of what that site or area needs, wants, or even will tolerate. But, you know, you have the technology to brute force it in there. And yeah, you can make it work, but again, at what cost? And I think we're starting to ask those questions and we're saying, you know, we're coming up with answers like uh, the cost is much too great. It's at the cost of a quality of life. It's at the cost of the environment. It's the cost of, um, you know, the enjoyment of, 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 of my, my life and things like this. I can't, you know, breathe. I can't see clearly because of pollution and you know what I mean? And so then it, it you know, we're, we're, but that receptive attitude, it puts us in a different state of mind. It puts us in a different state of mind. Uh, and with a different state of mind, you're going to be attuned uh, differently to where you will notice things that yeah. you didn't notice before, or you'll think about them in a little different way. And all these small things become big things. Um, just as you were talking, I was reminded for whatever reason of Frank Lloyd Wright, the architect, um, and he built some really interesting structures with uh, interesting architecture, um, but he really imposed it on the environment. Uh, was it falling water? Um, you know, it leaked. Um, it almost fell into the creek. Uh, you know, this cantilevered, you know, mid-century modern thing in this, you know, very very natural setting, uh, which is interesting artistically. You have something, you know, very straight lines and a very curvy. Um, earthy uh, setting. That's a, an, an interesting contrast, but he imposed so much that 
um, he even suggested what, or kind of demanded um, what, uh, you know, what kind of plates and dishes they would use and what color uh, the wife would wear uh, on her dress when she served at a dinner party held there. Like it was, you know, kind of, kind of in the extreme, that's part, yeah. part of the charm because you know, you're on board with this, this genius, but um, it's maybe a, a humorous way of kind of looking at this thing, but yeah, we can't really impose our way. And it's, and by listening, we see things. If you've ever gone uh, like in somebody's car that you have never been in one of those cars before, oh, I've always wanted to ride in a Miata and somebody has a Miata and oh, then, you know, there you are. When you're out in the road in that car for the very first time, you're going to see Miatas everywhere. Cars maybe you didn't even think about before. It's because you're tuned in to like a certain frequency. We can't see everything. I mean, we can look at everything, but we don't take it all in. So this selection process that the mind makes when we uh, observe um, with, with all our senses, um, we can really only process so much of it. Uh, and what this receptive and this listening, this deep listening, and I like how you're saying to set an intention, like how can I go about my day or how can I go about my business uh, in a way that's harmonious with the environment, with nature, um, with maybe adding more to the world than I'm taking away. Uh, that's a concept. That's a philosophical outlet. That's yeah. a paradigm and a lens through which you can, you will look at the world differently. Even just by saying a couple sentences like that um, tunes you into a different frequency. And then you'll notice an article and then you'll see this or something will come your way or somebody will send something, something will come out from this mosaic of, of all these uh, different pieces, uh, you know, that will be in line that will push this intention uh, one step further. And that's, you know, really where we need to go uh, with some of these things. It's, it's how, it's not how you can take down Exxon, although that may be necessary, I don't know. Uh, but what can you do in your own daily commute what can you do in your own daily day <laughs> um, to maybe make, and, and that's, let me, it kind of got off, but let me get back to what we're talking about paradigms. Um, some of the, this way of thinking is difficult. Uh, it's almost difficult to understand or to think of a new way of doing something. Uh, but if you change the underlying premise, then it becomes easier. Um, like we have a paradigm now with cell phones. You, know, you can just go anywhere. You can just call anybody. Well, you always know where somebody is. Well, you, I can always get a hold of somebody. It wasn't like that 30 years ago. Uh, you were gonna, you're going to be gone. You're going to get an answering machine at your home. Um, there, there was no cell phone. You had to find a pay phone and maybe call somebody, but you didn't know they were trying to call you and somebody trying to call you. They're not going to know which pay phone to call. There's a really funny scene in a, a Woody Allen movie about... Uh, about that, a doctor always calling his phone service. I'm gonna be here, I'm at this number. And, and of course, nobody ever called him, but <laughs> he was trying to stay in touch. That's a whole different paradigm. We don't fit, there are things that we don't think anything of now because the underlying paradigm has changed. But if we were to try to think that way 30 years ago, that would have been magical thinking. It would have been impossible. It would have been absurd. Yeah, exactly. Because the, the construct under which we were living said that those things were difficult. But if you change that underlying substructure, that what stands beneath, 
then a whole nother world of possibilities open up. So with farming, if we think the paradigm is, well, you just got to plow the field and plant as much corn as you can, and then you bring in the combine, you harvest it all down, you know, acre by acre by acre, then if the soil gets depleted, you got to add fertilizer. Well, if the bugs come, you got to spray pesticide. Well, that's going to hurt my crop. So now uh, we're going to genetically engineer some crops that if you spray it with poison, it won't kill the corn. And then you harvest that and send that off you know, to market. It's There's another paradigm. If, yeah. if you think farming is, then yes, those things will be true. But like you're saying with permaculture and other techniques, there's a way you could even add, not just take away every year, maybe you could even add back to the soil season after season, uh, the way to plant things, the way to harvest things, the way to graze cattle. Um, there's a whole different way of looking at things uh, that what now might seem impossible uh, becomes very, very possible if the underlying belief structure, and I think where we are with the paradigm, I, I don't think we're noticing that the world has changed or that there are things, like you said, from the past, uh, grazing techniques and things that were mm -hmm. uh, very sustainable because you know we thought about those things back then, maybe in a smaller way, uh, but it was still important to a local community. You could overgraze a field of sheep 200 years ago. And you know, upset your neighbors because of that. Um, you know, so it's, this is what we've been thinking about this. We've been working on this and there are things yeah. that we can bring into the now uh, using cutting edge technology and age old techniques uh, that we can build a different paradigm, a different way of looking uh, at how we view sustainability and everything from, you know, crops, agriculture to livestock and uh, how we get our food and electricity. Yeah, and I mean, even how we're, we're living in cities and suburbs and, you know, our whole kind of, you know, our whole footprint, really, right? Uh, but, you know, that's, a, you bring up a great point, that, that, that paradigm idea, uh, you know, the, in, the, in the world of shamanism, you know, it's like the, the idea of a, a dream, you know, a dream world. So really, what we need to do is, is dream an, a new dream. We need to create a new, a new dream for ourselves. We need to use our imaginations uh, to build the world that we want to see out there, but you have to build it within. You have to begin to, you know, really take time and and think about and ruminate on and visualize how you would like to see, you know, your world, your sort of personal world, your the way that you live, uh, you know, on a day to day basis, and you know, your kind of connection to uh, to the earth, to life, to community, and so on. Uh, but also how you'd like to see the larger world, you know? So, I mean, it could be something as simple as uh, taking some time and, you know, just really, you know, maybe you, you listen to some shaman drumming or you listen to some, you know, music or you're sitting by the ocean or something, whatever. Uh, and, you know, just take a little sort of uh, trip inside and, and really, you know, see, you know, the, the old growth forests re- you know, re regenerating and see, you know, the, the herds of, of, of large animals in, in Africa, you know, traveling across the plains and, you know, really see, uh, you know, and imagine the, the, the fish and the, the coral reefs and the, you know, the, the beautiful uh, undersea uh, life, you know, thriving and, you know, really kind of see how that could look. And then, you know, you can imagine how, how humans fit into the whole thing and how the cities might look with a more, 
uh, with, you know, with more plants uh, growing on buildings. And, you know, you've talked about this before, the vertical farming and things that you can do within cities and some of the, the cool uh, technology stuff. You know, you could imagine, you know, all the roofs in, you know, in New York City uh, with, you know, with gardens on them. And, you know, you can imagine, you know, water catchment and, and, and you know, and different types of, uh, uh, you know, and solar panels on things and see people walking and riding bikes. Just imagine the world that you want to see. Use that imagination, build a new dream, you know, and, and you, can, you can help to affect that paradigm shift. You know, there's that idea of morphic resonance that Rupert uh, Sheldrake talked about idea of the, the sort of hundredth monkey where, you know, after a certain amount of time um, and a certain number of individuals, and it's not the whole group, you know, I don't remember the exact number, but there's, you know, there's a, a you know, a specific small number of, of individuals making a change and shifting uh, an understanding, you know, it, you know, they did, they just study of, of monkeys on an island and it was something about uh, um, washing, washing off fruit or something, wasn't it? I forget the specific, but it's it, it, a relatively small percentage yeah. that adopts a new behavior, and then seemingly magically, everybody knows how to do it that way. And, that and moreover, then even the monkeys on the on the island near it also suddenly magically know how to wash the fruit off. It yeah. it, it says that was the big thing. It was like it, it like travels via osmosis, you know, and on a sort of spiritual level, and. You know, and you were talking about cell phones and, you know, certain things that we just kind of take for granted these days that are just part of culture, uh, the way we do things, you know, some of the most of what we're doing today is not natural, you know, but we just take it for granted. This is just the way it is. So, so, you know, it, it's happened incrementally and gradually over, you know, hundreds of years to, to put us in the place that we're at. So now if we want to change that, we've got to change the picture. We've got to change the underlying understanding. And again, getting back to the idea of uh, a web of life, if you can kind of wrap your head around that and really kind of think about that, it's my little, I want to have a little assignment, I guess, and I'm trying to do that this, this week, and maybe you can look at this as well, Chris, and our listeners, if they want to join in. But as I'm going throughout my day, I'm thinking about the web of life and how everything is connected. I'm trying to notice it. So for example, if I'm eating something, I'll think about, you know, where that, that food came from and you know, what it took to grow that and how it got to, you know, how it got to my, you know, my place to eat it and things like that. And then, you know, kind of walking outside and looking at how things work and, you know, looking at trees and, you know, looking at the, the plants and, you know, watching the pollinators move around and stuff and just thinking about starting to see the connections. You know, that's a form of deep, deep listening is just, it's looking and listening, right? You know, but it's done with a sort of listening heart or receptive heart, you know, not trying to interrogate it, but just noticing and paying attention. You know, I've been watching lizards on the back wall and they're kind of uh, their sort of daily ritual where they're at at specific times of the day when they're hunting. And then when they when they kind of fight over territory and, you know, their little patterns and I'm watching this and I, I, it's fascinating, you know. I never would have thought I'd find lizards in the backyard fascinating, but when you start to see how they're connected to everything and you're looking at where they're hunting for bugs and you're looking at, you know, they're trying to stay away from the cat. So they've got to stay so high on the wall. And, you know, there's like a whole thing going on in lizard world. 
then it's kind of, you know, and you think about that, it's just this one tiny little piece of it, but you see how they connect to, you know, to the overall picture of things and how, you know, they're, you know, going to be food for birds and, you know, they're, you know what I mean? It's, it's interesting. And I think that web of life idea can really help to shift things. If you begin to think about how your actions are connected into this web of life and the choices that you make, uh, you know, you begin to do things and you want to do things in a different way when you see like, oh, my actions do matter. My thoughts do matter. They do resonate out, you know, and I am just like I say, I'm just one person. But, you know, that can have a great effect on a large on a large number of people. And, you know, it doesn't take a huge number of people to make a change. It takes, a you know, a certain solid core number. And I think they you know, did studies on this thing like 15 or 20% of the population or something like that, if it's really solidly on board and moving in a direction, you know, most of the other individuals will follow along in the group. So, you know, you start to think about that and then you start to think about shifting your thought process and the spiritual world and so on, you realize you have a lot of power within you to make changes, you know, so take that seriously. Uh, and, you know, and don't get discouraged by all the negative material you see all the time. Um, and people, you know, telling you, oh, there's no use. We're just going to go to Mars and run off and start over again and all this stuff. It's nonsense. You know, you may go to Mars. That's fine. And you may, you know, they may start a colony there. So I don't know, you know, but the point is you've got the best planet in the, in the area that we know about, you know, work with that. Right. So, all right, well, I'm going to let you, uh, finish it off then. Uh, I don't really have too much else to say about this. I do want to recommend, uh, this book. Uh, spiritual ecology the cry of the earth and check out uh, Sandra Ingerman uh, on uh, on YouTube and so on and check out her books that Chris mentioned earlier and so forth so Chris do you have anything else to, to add well I did you mentioned a couple of times now the the web of life and this uh, really is one of the highest spiritual concepts really that mankind has ever produced or recognized and that is unity consciousness this we're all one uh, the Tao, um, the unmanifest, uh, that there is one underlying um, power, force, um, essence, intelligence in the universe, like an ocean, and we are but waves and you know, parts of that, but we are that, uh, and that they are all connected. And one of the reasons why some of our small choices can be so powerful is because we're connected to the web. If we weren't, we might not be all that effective. Uh, we might not be able to enact a negative change and we may not be able to provide you know, positive influence. Uh, but since we're connected to this web, what we do resonates with other people. And um, I was thinking that uh, this quote from Chief Seattle, uh, I think it was called The Web of Life. Uh, it's a few paragraphs long, but I'll just leave it the last couple sentences. This we know, the earth does not belong to man. Man belongs to the earth. All things are connected like the blood that unites us all. Man did not weave the web of life. He is merely a strand in it. Whatever he does to the web, he does to himself. Chief Seattle. Uh, so that's this interconnected um, viewpoint or paradigm of looking at the world, uh, the universe. And I think quantum physics and, you know, most sciences will, um, at least on some level, um, affirm that 
you know, things don't take place in a vacuum that you change one thing and you affect all kinds of things. Even observing, the act of observing an experiment uh, is actually influencing it. Uh, so this is a truth spiritually, it's a truth psychologically and socially, how we treat each other. And it's a deep, deep spiritual concept that we are connected to the web, i.e. God, uh, the divine, the ultimate, the infinite. Uh, we are connected. We are that. That's why we're connected, because we are that. And we belong to it. And this web of life is a way of looking at the world and our part in it. And I think that's one that really um, can make a big change in how we handle our own personal environments and how we treat the world in which we live. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that uh, beautiful reading of that quote as well. I appreciate it. All right. I am the author of If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate. Chris is the author of The Spirit in the Sky. And we have been talking about Medicine for the Earth, which is an essay from uh, Spiritual Ecology, edited by Llewellyn Von Lee. Uh, and we encourage you to dream a better dream of the earth. So we'll leave you on that. Uh, thank you again for joining us. We appreciate you. We're at uh, CosmicEye.org. If you'd like to make a, a contribution to the show uh, and help keep us on air and get this information out to others, uh, we're at anchor.fm slash CosmicEye, and you can make a little donation there. We greatly appreciate it. And thank you so much for those who are uh, donating to us. We uh, greatly appreciate you guys uh, and our listeners. And thank you, Chris. Appreciate your help. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, we will be back next week. Uh, have a great week. Uh, live in that web of life and uh, deep, deep listen. Use your deep listening skills. All right, goodbye and God bless.